Money FM 89.3, the best of the afternoon update. Money in the market on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and the Market. I'm Hong Bin Jung. Just over an hour ago, Singapore released its headline consumer price index data, which moderated further to 4% in August on a year-on-year basis. That's down from June's 4.5% reading and July's 4.1% figure. The Monetary Authority of Singapore's core inflation, which excludes private transport and accommodation, also eased to 3.8% on a year-on-year basis. And the lower headline inflation was due to the lower core and accommodation inflation offset by higher inflation for private transport due to a steeper increase in car prices. So how has Singapore's market responded to these numbers? And more broadly, what is the outlook for Asian inflation and how might it impact regional equities? Well, joining me on the phone today to discuss this further is Abhishek Vishnoi, who's a senior Asia equities reporter at Bloomberg. Abhishek, welcome back back to the show. Hi, Hongbin. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me again today. Abhishek, you know, Singapore's core inflation and CPI numbers were just released about an hour ago. Were they in line with your expectations? I mean, what does this say about Singapore's economy? Yeah, they were largely in line with expectations. You know, broadly, the consumer prices came in as per estimates, as we Mm -hmm. had told. The good news is that the MAS's core inflation gauge fell to 3.4% from 3.8%, and it was below consensus as well. So it shows that inflationary pressures are reducing. Mm -hmm. It shows that the economy remains on track. And this also reflects, let's say, the improvements that uh, the economy is possibly seeing in supply chains, Mm. uh, possibly lower import costs as well. Mm, Okay, okay. So how have Singapore shares reacted to this news? Well, actually, you know, Singapore equities are a little changed. Uh, they're largely unchanged since the data came in at one. Okay. Uh, there was a slight increase on the positive side, but mm-hmm. largely the markets have gyrated at and around the 3,200 level. In some ways, you know, Singapore is more of a bet on the world. So, you know, U.S. inflation right now is what market participants would be more keen to know about. And that might lead to a reaction bigger than uh, the inflation figures that we have seen in Singapore. I see, I see. And I mean, many economists, they expect the Monetary Authority of Singapore to leave its monetary policy parameters unchanged at its upcoming October meeting. You know, with these latest numbers, do you still believe that to be the case? Or might there be a surprise in store? That's right. Our reporting is actually showing that given inflation has slowed for Singapore, it Mm -hmm. allows MAS room to be dovish. But, you know, the base case remains that monetary settings would be kept unchanged Mm -hmm. like MS did in the last meeting. You know, our reporting is showing that CPI gains still remain elevated and food and energy prices are ticking up again. So, you know, the crude oil prices making a move towards $100 per barrel, that might show up in certain other areas of the economy. So the base case remains that MS might keep the settings unchanged. Okay, okay. Well, this is happening in Singapore. I also want to take this conversation to the broader Asian region, starting with Japan, where the Bank of Japan on Friday, they maintained its ultra-low interest rates at negative 0.1% last Friday, and they've pledged to keep supporting the economy until inflation hits its 2% target. This was, of course, on the cards, wasn't it? Uh, that's right. This outcome was predicted by all the 
46 economists that were surveyed by Bloomberg. Largely, policy settings are expected to remain as it is for mm-hmm. the time being. BOJ wants to give a bit more time. They are more keen to get into a state where inflation is sort of accompanied mm-hmm. by wage growth for them to act. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the BOJ's decision it largely contrasts with those of U.S. and European central banks, which in recent meetings have signaled their resolve to keep borrowing costs high to rein in inflation, thus, you know, higher interest rates for longer. Why is the BOJ, you know, employing such vastly different strategies? That's right. You know, BOJ remains an outlier as Mm -hmm. far as central bank policies are concerned globally. And even China sort of is in the same category, but for different reasons. For Japan, uh, you know, Bank of Japan will continue to maintain its outlier status in terms of central banks looking to stoke inflation rather than contain or manage it. Uh, And the idea is, look, Japan is exiting its era of deflation, which lasted Mm -hmm. for more than a decade, you know, or possibly a couple of decades in 1990s, right? After a long time, and they really don't want to take second chances. They mm-hmm. want to differentiate between good inflation and bad inflation. So inflation caused by, let's say, supply chain shocks would also lead Bank of Japan to its target. But what they want is good inflation, which is, again, leading to higher wage growth, uh, you know, possibly higher consumption, more more pricing power. And they want to see a sustained mm-hmm. sort of virtuous wage inflation cycle by year end, you know, and that sustainable part of inflation accompanied by healthy wage growth is what they're looking at. So that's why they are, you know, vastly different from other central banks in mm. Japan. It's in the category where you know, rising inflation would be positive for Japan assets. You know, Abhishek, later this week, we're also expecting inflation data from Tokyo, I believe. If Tokyo's inflation numbers are higher than expected, could we expect a shift in BOJ's, you know, ultra-loose monetary policy? I mean, it will add to the case, but uh, given Bank of Japan has said that they want to get a virtuous wage inflation cycle by year end, mm-hmm. uh, it won't move the needle. We, have, we would have to watch out as to what the Bank of Japan governor says after the data, what other BOJ policymakers make of that data to decipher as to how close they are in terms of ending their accommodative stance or taking a step towards containing inflation. Japan is in a cycle where inflation is really good for them, so I think they would continue, you know, from what our reporting is showing, I think they would continue for the time being to stay accommodative. Mm -hmm. And staying with Japan here, a Knight Frank report over the weekend showed that Singapore has become, you know, the biggest investor in Japan's real estate sector this year with inflows from the city-state totaling almost $3 billion so far this year. So it kind of appears that Japan's low borrowing costs are paying off as international investors continue to be attracted by them? Oh, absolutely. Low borrowing costs. I mean, the question is what will not work for Japan or what is the next thing that will work for Japan? Because Japan right now is possibly the best investment story in Asia. Mm. And it's a developed market. There's no problem of rising inflation. Rising inflation is good for them. The abenomics has led to such great structural reforms that shareholder returns are getting boosted everywhere. Mm -hmm. Assets remain cheap because of currency because of years of deflation, tourism is gaining, supply chains are getting fixed. Mm -hmm. It's a developed market which has the technology and supply chains like China and an area or a region where, you know, West would be more comfortable investing. 
So it seems like everything is working for Japan. I took a look at that story and there is a lot of demand. This figure was driven largely by sovereign wealth fund GIC's mm. purchase of six warehouses from Japan. And that purchase of warehouses took me to a time when Warren Buffet started investing in the trading houses of Japan, you know, just like a few quarters ago. Mm-hmm. This just shows that liquid or illiquid, you know, private or public, all kind of assets of Japan are on international investors' radar, right from, mm-hmm. you know, Warren Buffet to sovereign wealth funds are investing in those assets. And these funds, these investors, you know, invest for the longer term. They are not traders. If you extrapolate this, this is really good time for Japan and, and its assets for the next foreseeable, you know, future three, four years, maybe. Mm, I see, I see. And I mean, we talked about Singapore's inflation, Tokyo's inflation briefly there. I want to also take it more broader. It looks like the Asian Development Bank's latest data suggests that inflation in developing Asia is forecast to decline from 4.4% last year to 3.6% this year and 3.5% next year. What are the main drivers of this decline, Abhishek? Uh, That's right. And, you know, this possibly on a top-down level would look like something that's happening in the core inflation gauges of U.S. and Eurozone mm-hmm. as well, where, you know, the annual core metric that U.S. looks at, you know, the preferred inflation measure is expected to fall below 4% in August. Now, you know, these metrics, they largely exclude uh, some portion of food and energy costs. Mm-hmm. So that's first caveat. And second, in case of, you know, developing Asia, the mm-hmm. other outlier on inflation side, which is China, you know, that is causing much of the decline. You know, mm-hmm. it, most of this year's decline will be driven by uh, China, mm-hmm. where inflation is forecast to be revised down to 0.7%. So mm-hmm. this essentially implies that, yes, headline numbers would trend lower, but you know price pressures remain, mm-hmm. and price pressures are strong, and core inflation is still something to worry about, especially in the context of where you know oil, which largely oils the world economy at the moment, you know, is mm-hmm. heading towards $100 per barrel. Okay, okay. So what kind of impact does this decline in inflation is expected to have on Asian equities? Well, let's say if the decline in inflation happens at a pace faster than we are expecting, Mm -hmm. then that would lead to accommodative policies, which essentially means more rate cuts. So it would burnish the appeal of all risk assets, Mm -hmm. except possibly China. You know, China needs to do a lot more to fix its economy, like our reporting has been showing. Otherwise, if let's say it's trending in line with expectations, then, you know, it will take the pressure off. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the backdrop would remain just higher for longer policy rates, you know. Mm -hmm which may keep the enthusiasm on, say, tech rallies or domestic growth stories like India or, uh, you know, the rally in Southeast Asian nation equities, which are looked as defensive, in check. I see. I see. Are there any particular markets that investors should be, you know, shifting their attention to, you know, given this backdrop? Oh, absolutely. Inflation coupled with what is happening in China, because China is the world's Mm -hmm. second largest economy, you know, is already leading uh, investors to shift their money, shift their attention spans to other markets. I mean, there are a lot of beneficiaries. There are funds, you know, launched with ex-China category, like Asia, ex-China, EM, ex-China. A lot of money is uh, moving to next big EM opportunities Mm -hmm. like India, some regions of Latin America, Indonesia as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of attention to be paid. Valuations in China also have discounted a lot of things and non-China markets are looking expensive as well. So, more 
modern markets have become sort of a stock pickers game where you know you let's say go stock specific you look at state owned companies in china mm-hmm. evs or chips in china or let's say apple amazon on tech side or some consumption related stocks in india some government capex related stocks in india mm-hmm. so these themes are you know likely to dominate as you know inflation and china sees the backdrop I see. I see. Well, before we let you go here, Abhishek, is there anything else investors should be keeping an eye on this week? Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, inflation figures in Tokyo, Japan, mm. also Singapore numbers are out. Maybe CPI, Vietnam and Australia as well. Mm. And then the second half of the week would be dominated by, uh, you know, central bank talks. We've got BOJ minutes on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll get a granular uh, sort of data on what BOJ is thinking is right now. And then we have Thailand's rate decision as well. And then the last two days would largely be dominated by, you know, second quarter GDP figures Mm -hmm. in the U.S., and some PMIs of China before it goes into Golden Week holiday. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Abhishek, for your time and your insights today. Thank you, Ankhbin. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you. We've been speaking with Abhishek Vishnoi, who's a senior Asia equities reporter at Bloomberg. I'm Hong Bin Jung, and this has been Money in the Market. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.